Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Science of Work, where I, Dr. Lisa Melange, look at the science about how to optimize work design for the 21st century. Today, I wanted to talk to you about something that's very important to me. While I completed my schooling studying how exercise impacts cancer survivors, I started at a Canadian national charity called Knight's Cabin, which offers research-based wellness programming for cancer survivors and their supporters. I know firsthand what it's like to have a job driven by passion and heart, meaning and impact, and the difficulties of working in the nonprofit sector. Keep listening to this episode to find out what the future really has to hold for charities and philanthropy. This podcast is brought to you by the Quantic School of Business and Technology. Quantic's highly selective online MBA and EMBA programs are designed mobile first with interactive micro lessons and individualized feedback every eight seconds. Don't settle for old school slides and lectures. Experience the future of education and accelerate your career. Go to quantic.edu slash science of work for more. So what exactly is the charitable sector? Charities and nonprofits often group together include small community service organizations as well as large hospitals and universities and other educational organizations. All charities are nonprofits, but not all nonprofits are charities. Many of the differences are reporting to the government and the ability to give tax receipts for donations. Everybody will interact with charities and nonprofits at some time in their life. Everything from sports organizations, an illness of a loved one, education, or benefiting from scientific research. In Canada, the total employment by charities and nonprofits has climbed to 2.4 million jobs, and that's in 2017. In the American nonprofit sector, employs about 11.9 million people. One in every 10 Americans working in the private sector work in nonprofits and charities. Retail, trade, and accommodation, and food services are the only industries that actually employ more people than nonprofits. Nonprofits and charities have more of an economic force than is commonly appreciated, and certainly will be seeing that in the next couple of years. According to the Global NGOs and Charitable Organizations Market Report of 2019, Asia Pacific has the largest region in the global NGOs and charitable organization market. North America is second and Africa is the smallest region in global NGOs and charitable organizations. So how has COVID changed the charitable sector? Global NGOs and charitable organizations is expected to decline from $285 billion in 2019 to $284 billion in 2020. The decline is mainly due to the economic slowdown across countries that are influenced by COVID-19 and measures that are containing it. The market is expected to recover and grow to reach $335 billion in 2023. While we can look at the stats and growth and monetary values due to the impact of COVID-19, when we think about how to move forward, there's not a lot of research being done on the how. What should we be doing? So in this podcast, we talk to experts and we get advice and opinions. So when we think about how these charities are impact individuals and the fact that we are living at a time where people need these services now more than ever, it really starts to paint a picture on just how important these organizations are. We spoke with Zoe Amur, who runs a social enterprise and digital consultancy in the UK called Zoe Amur Digital, and she is the chair of the Charitable Digital Code of Practice, 
about the demand of charity services right now. And this is what she had to say about it. There's going to be a huge amount of demand, I think, for charity services, for how they can help people through those challenges that people will face as a result of the pandemic. But there's also going to be, I think, a number of different ways that charities are going to have to adapt the way they work in order to really provide that help at scale. Because the the big conundrum that we have with the charity sector in the UK at the moment, and I'd imagine this is similar in other countries, is that more and more people need charity services. While there is a demand for individual services, philanthropic foundations, trusts and charities are also an important source of research funding. About 15% of PhD thesis are supported by charities in the UK. In the United Kingdom, the Association of Medical Research Charities received $1.9 billion from members for biomedical research. They are reporting an average 38% drop of funding this year. Nonprofits provide 5% of overall U.S. research funding. They often support small, high-risk pilot studies that later enable researchers to attract larger grants from government funding. To get a more in-depth look about exactly how COVID is affecting charities that support research, we spoke to Dr. Pamela Valentine, President and CEO of MS Society of Canada, and here's what she had to say. I'm not sure people have an understanding of the unique role that the health charities play in terms of research. The health charitable sector in Canada on an annual basis funds $155 million in research that supports 2,500 trainees and 1,600 independent investigators. So we are a critical plank, if you will, in the health charitable sector. And the research that we fund has a tendency to have proximity to the patient. We have tended to fund later stage clinical trial work, interaction in the translation space, if you will, because we're wanting to see with our investment that there's an impact on the patient that's pretty proximal. Not that we don't fund basic research, we do that as well, but there's a tendency for us to be in that translation space. COVID hit and the research engine in Canada stalled. There's no question about that. It's been in the last few months to one degree or another, getting back on its feet. There's a restart that's happened. Likely with the second wave, we may have another stall. We know that. So it slowed the research progress for sure. We saw about a 40 to $50 million disinvestment in research from January to July. So much of the disruption for both fundraising for research as well as providing services for individuals has been due to the lack of local connection and the virtual switch we had to make. Pamela Valentine explains further. The health charitable sector in Canada has grown up out of a grassroots beginning. The HCCC, which is the Health Charity Coalition of Canada, is the 25 biggest, you know, sort of nationally scoped health charitable organizations. And they have over a 30 year history started at a very local level and then connected to create some of these national organizations. And that meant they fundraised and delivered their services in a really local way. And a lot of that fundraising has been event-based, you know, walks and bikes and and all sorts of community engaged, community building kinds of ways of fundraising. 
And then I think the biggest disruptor that's come along is the ability to connect virtually. And the ability to connect virtually has, you know, really kind of created some pressure on that localized model. So how are charitable organizations supposed to adapt to COVID-19 in this virtual world? One way is through digital transformation. This is what Zoe Amur had to say about it. I think what charities will need to do to support people will be ever more far-reaching and more needed. Will the sector have the resource to meet those needs? It's going to have to get very creative and in particular look at how it uses digital to meet some of those needs and also to collaborate with others to meet those needs. We've seen an enormous amount of change with digital. We ran a survey called the Charity Digital Skills Report. And what we found was that two thirds, so 66% of the charity professionals we spoke to were delivering all work remotely. 61% are planning to offer more online services and almost half, so 47% were collaborating and sharing learning with others around digital. So I think this this in itself shows how the way in which charities work has kind of been supercharged in some ways by the pandemic in terms of how charities are engaging with digital. It's gone from being an incremental, perhaps even glacial thing in some cases, to being something where charities have had to do it by necessity. And because of that, they've had to really embrace these new ways of working. So I'm really excited to see what's going to happen building on that change in 2021. I think the holy trinity there is actually about people as well. So, so often in digital, we talk about success in terms of, you know, having all the right products and having enough money to do this work, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, I don't think we should be calling it digital first transformation. We should be calling it people first transformation. So have we got the right people in the right roles? And if we can't afford them, how can we tap into that expertise, perhaps bringing them onto our board, perhaps getting some pro bono help, perhaps through developing some really good partnerships with tech companies or other corporates who've got some good people working in digital. And this is where I think charities have a real unique advantage. Dr. Valentine, also talks about embracing that digital world as a way to move forward. I think the platforms will continue to get sophisticated and there's some of it that we won't go back from, probably. Not that we don't miss hugs (laughs) and in person. I mean, we crave the human connection for sure. But I think there'll be aspects of the virtual part of our businesses that are, are here to stay for sure. So it's very clear we need to embrace the virtual world and some of its benefits. For Knight's Cabin, the charity I founded, we relied extensively on gatherings, from fundraising to the programs we delivered. We, like many other charities, had been challenged on our own digital transformation, everything from innovative funding strategies to online programming. We even started to offer wellness retreats in a box, so it could be delivered to the front door of cancer survivors, and then they can embrace a lot of the programming and the supplies needed, and then meet online to go through the program. Another thing we need to embrace going forward is innovation. It's about how we can really do things differently. Zoe talks about this. 
So I, th- I think there's something there about how do we continue this momentum and this pace of doing stuff in an agile way? Because I think that's how really good innovation happens, right? If we spend too much time agonizing about using digital in, you know, the most incredibly perfect fine-tuned way possible, then it's probably going to take us ages to come up with <laughs> any more good ideas. So I, I think there's a clear role here for leaders of nonprofits about how they model that behavior, how they show it's okay to fail, how they encourage their staff to come up with ideas and have that process for innovation. Due to the nature of charitable and nonprofit activities, they rely heavily on volunteerism. This too has changed. Think about the average person, eight hours a day on Zoom, for example, and then trying to convince them to come to board meetings or volunteer meetings after that. So taking everything online and with the majority of us feeling overwhelmed with the changes that are happening in all aspects of our life, something that Pamela Valentine brought up and really got me thinking about, what about that lost local connection? How important is it that we put in and reestablish this connection moving forward? since 67% of worldwide donors choose to volunteer locally in their community. Our focus for next year is really going to be on engaging and finding ways to engage despite the set of circumstances. In a way, back to the beginning, back to the grassroots. How do we find those communities? It's pushing all of us to really think about how does the cohesion of a national organization meet the local needs and ensure that community engagement, which may not be geographic in its nature, continue to drive an agenda that is for and by the people, because ultimately that's, I think, what's required. So it's challenging us, that's for sure. So whether you're a driving force behind a charity or a dedicated volunteer, or maybe just somebody who has a New Year's resolution to volunteer more or support your local community, how do we do it? How do we rally together? This brings up the importance of donors in engaging our community, which we'll dive into right after this commercial. Like I mentioned before, community and indeed the services offered by charities are more important now than ever. Quantic is transforming the traditional MBA and EMBA with an interactive platform that's built for modern students and future leaders. With a focus on innovation and strategy and a mobile-first, network-driven approach, Quantic allows you to learn on your schedule and alongside leaders from the world's top companies. Delivered in an award-winning micro-lesson format, you'll receive personalized feedback every eight seconds, not at semester's end. Transformative leaders need transformative education to make real change. Visit quantic.edu slash science of work to learn more about the modern MBA. Have questions about the future of charities and philanthropy? Join me and other experts in our Facebook group and ask away. To join, search the Science of Work podcast in your Facebook search bar. See you there. So we discussed charities and organizations and what they can do moving forward to adapt to this new world after COVID. But what about donors? After all, they're the ones that give their time and money to these special causes. The total amount of money given to charitable organizations was $410 billion in 2017. The number of Canadians that give to charities is decreasing. Participation in giving has dropped from 25% of Canadians in 2006 to 20% in 2016. Canadians 45 and up have seen the largest decline in donation rate. Monthly giving represents about 17% of donation revenue. 
and monthly giving has grown faster than the one-time gifts. Overall, Canadian gives 1.5% of their income to charities. Charities' reliance on major gifts, those large sums of money that come in, become more and more important. Charities need to understand that stewardship is an absolute must, something that requires time and resources to do. COVID had a huge impact on funds coming in, although not all organizations suffered. Research from Benevity, an online platform to donate money, showed that 51% more people donated through this platform from January through October in 2020. They gave 41% more dollars per donation. They also showed that volunteerism dropped about 30% due to physical distancing requirements. An interesting note from this research, female donors are more likely to make a donation because of social media marketing, while male donors are more likely to give because of email messages. When we spoke to Zoe Amur about the changing landscape of donors, this is what she had to say. It really depends on the organisation. So there are some charities without naming names uh, where we have found that actually they've gone over their targets for certain campaigns, which is very exciting and says a lot about the generosity and loyalty of their donors. And then there are other organisations where it's much harder. And I think it really depends on who your donors are, what their situation is, the kind of volume of your donors and also the relationship which you have with your donors as well. I don't think there's a kind of cookie cutter model for what a donor is giving or how they're behaving or perhaps what's motivating them at the moment. I think the key thing with any charity, whether they're based in the UK or not, is to make sure that you're staying very, very close to your donors right now, that you're talking to them really regularly, that you're just constantly crawling through the data that you get. So all the insights from how they're engaging with you and trying to spot any patterns and above all, really developing all your communications so that they are very very much based on what your donors need and what they're interested in and what's going to encourage them to really value what you do and to show how your work is really aligned with what's important to them right now. Pamela Valentine also had a similar perspective on partnerships. We're going to have to think very carefully about the kinds of partnerships that we need and the, and the involvement of citizens within Canada to give. And importantly, both corporate organizations, how they engage their citizens, their employees, and the government. I think we're really going to have to think about what kind of outcomes we want in Canada and how, what role the not-for-profits and the philanthropic enterprise more broadly, how it needs to adapt given these, these realities. Because I even once COVID is gone, I think this is a game changer for the sector for sure. So moving forward, we should be thinking about the individual, the community, and the general landscape of charities, and how we can create touch points and connections throughout it all, not only to help the industry grow, but also to help get the community involved again. We also talked about having a bigger push on digital campaigns and how the sector can embrace new digital reality and spark innovation. As we're looking towards the future, Zoe had this to say. 
Sure, absolutely. There's a million and one different ways that 2021 could go. But thinking about what's in your control right now, and ideally, how do we want to be working 18 months from from now? What's going to help us do the best possible job of serving the people that we support and engaging with our donors? And then I think working backwards from there, doing a bit of backwards planning is a good way to be able to make those decisions about how to use digital in the future. I completely agree with her. Now, as we bring this episode to a close, I want to leave you with something that Pamela Valentine said to me. It's not what one organization can do. It's not what one person can do. It's what collectively, that collective action of a community can achieve together. So while we don't know the full impact of COVID and the effect it had on both philanthropy and charitable work, we do know that we consciously have to think about what exists on the other end. How can we be innovative in this space? And how can we ensure that we are consciously designing our community? So no matter where you're listening to this from, remember, we're all in this together. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you learned something about the science of work. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Your support means that we can continue to bring you the latest and greatest in workplace trends. If you want to explore more about the science of work, join our Facebook group by searching the Science of Work podcast. Special thanks to Zoe Murr and Dr. Pamela Valentine and everyone who made this podcast possible. Research was conducted by Dr. Alex Dzinski and Megan Lloyd. For full scripts and further resources, please visit our website, consciousworks.com. Remember, design your community or somebody else will.